before um, Courtney and I first got married, there were some things um, that, that I didn't know. Um, and I didn't know until she told me that they were so. Um, and I absolutely would have never known if she would not have told me. There were just things that were not on my radar. I don't know if anybody else has had this experience when you got married or not. Um, like, for example, we had a perfectly good washer and dryer in our house, and yet there is a large collection of her clothing that does not get to go in the dryer. It has to go on a drying rack um, that, that is collapsible, which makes you think it would be put away at some point, but it actually stays up all the time because there's always clothes drying on the drying rack. And so, like, I didn't know that until I was told that this is how this process works. I didn't have any clothes that had to go to a drying rack. Um, and so you, you learn things, right? And, uh, or um, that the word fine uh, was not an acceptable answer to pretty much all of her questions to me. Uh, she was expecting more conversation uh, than that, and she had to, she had to tell me that. Uh, or um, that crying um, doesn't mean get away and give me space. That's what it means for me. Like, I need to sort this, like, you need to go away. For her, it means, no, come hug me, um, even if you're the reason for the crying. Like, come, and I was like, that does not compute for me at all, but okay. Um, and then most of all, that the, the most loving thing I can do for her at the end of the day is to rub her feet. Um, certain things you just, you just don't know until someone tells you. And the worst part is you don't know that you don't know until someone tells you. Well, the Bible tells us that it works the very same way in the lives of humans, that there are things in this book, there are things about God, there are things about Jesus that we do not know until someone tells us. Until someone opens up the word and explains it and teaches and tells us the truth of what God has said. It's not intuitive to us. We don't just automatically have that information. We have to be told. And that's what Paul is pressing on here. That the world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It needs to hear the word of God. It needs to be told. It needs to be preached to in order to have the word, because the word is the only hope that they have of finding God and finding salvation in Christ. Paul says this in Romans 10, 13-17. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, like that, that, that alone, and what a powerful promise. Everyone. No matter what you've done, no matter what you walked in with this morning, no matter what shame you're carrying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he says more. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And verse 17 says, so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And Paul's going to press Timothy on this point this morning in chapter 4 that preaching the word is the only hope for the world. Preaching the word is the only hope for the world because that's the only way they're going to find Jesus. So let's take a look at verse 1 here of chapter 4 and let's dive in together. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So the first point this morning is this, preach the word with the end 
in mind. With the end in mind. That's what Paul is saying here. He starts off, he says, I charge you. And he actually uses that phrase, I charge you, several times in his letters. It means I command you or I commission you. But out of all the times that Paul uses this phrase, it's most emphatic. It's strongest right here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because again, this is his final, most important words to his spiritual son, Timothy, before he leaves this earth. And he says, I charge you, and here's the command, preach the word. Now, that word preach, um, to us, that has connotations of what I'm doing now. Like somebody standing on a, on a stage with a pulpit, perhaps, and the Bible open, and, and, and declaring to you things about God's word. And that definitely is preaching. But the word here in the Greek actually means more than just that. It means to proclaim. It means to herald. It means, like, a, a envision a, a messenger coming from the king and proclaiming to the public, like, hey, this is what the king has said. Everyone needs to know this. Everyone needs to hear this. And it's just that proclamation, that declaring of what God has said is true. And he says here to preach, not just anything, but preach the word. The truth of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what he commands Timothy and by extension us to preach. Because that's the only message that's really going to change the people's lives is the gospel. This is what every single one of us needs to hear on repeat. That in our natural state, in our natural bent, that we are sinners. That we come, we are born with sinful hearts that lead us to sinful actions, and we rebel against God, and we disobey His word, and we go our own way, and we deserve nothing from Him but wrath and punishment and hell. And there's nothing we can do to make it better. Nothing we can do to fix it. We've already gone too far. But God, in His infinite love for us, that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life. The one thing that we could never do. He came and He did it for us. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and then He went to the cross and sacrificed that life to pay for our sins. He stood in our place as our substitute and he took all the wrath and the the punishment and the death that we deserve for our sins. He took it upon himself and he died in our place. And he was buried and then three days later he rose back to life as we just sung about so emphatically. He came back from the dead to prove that he was God and that he had conquered sin and he had conquered death and that as Paul said in Romans that all who believe will be saved. That's the gospel message. And that's what every single person on this planet needs to hear. And that's why Paul says, preach the word. Nothing more, nothing less, not my ideas, not my opinions, not my own teachings. Preach only God's word, he says. And he gives him a reason why. He says, I command you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge and his appearing and his kingdom. Do you you feel it? Right? Like he's not just saying, I charge you according to God. He's like heaping up level after level after level of authority, saying, This is why you must preach. 
So why is Paul pressing Timothy on this so hard? Well, I think he gives us a clue right here in the language that he uses when he points to Jesus as the judge and his appearing and his kingdom. Timothy must preach the word because time is short. And judgment is coming. One day Christ will return and he will judge the living and the dead. And they must hear and they must be saved before that dreadful day comes. Time is short. And so we must preach. Also, Timothy must preach the word because he knows the truth. He knows the message. He knows the mission is clear. And one day he will stand before Christ and he will give an account for what he did with the gospel message that was entrusted to him. Did he pass it on? Did he proclaim it? Did he preach it to others? Paul's charging Timothy and us, every one of us, to preach, to proclaim the word because the end is coming. I know at first, like I said, at first this seems like this particular part of the text applies maybe only to pastors or elders or spiritual leaders, but it's actually much broader than that. It actually applies to all of us because here's the reality, friends. All of us are preachers. You may never stand on a stage, you may never give a sermon like this, but you are preaching something, you are proclaiming something to the world with your life, with your actions, with your words. You are preaching. The question is, what are you preaching? Some of you are preaching your sports team, which is a little sensitive right now, since we're in the best sports season of the entire year, March Madness, but... Some of you are preaching your sports team on a regular basis. Some of you are preaching your small business. Some of you are preaching your favorite band or your alma mater or your fashion brand of choice or your favorite pastime. And if you're unsure what it is that you're preaching with your life, just look at the predominant logos that are on your clothes or on the back of your stickers on the back of your cars. Or better yet, what is it that you get most excited to talk about? When you're just in general conversation with anyone, what gets you most jazzed to talk about? That's what you're preaching. That's what you're proclaiming to the world. And not only are you all preachers, we, are all, we all have congregations that we're preaching to. Some of you at your family. Some of you at your coworkers or your fellow students or your sports team, or your friends group. They're all listening to you, and they're all absorbing whatever it is that you're preaching. And Paul's charge here is to preach the Word more than anything else. Because that alone is the message that leads people to Christ, and leads people to salvation, and leads people to ultimately eternal life in heaven with God. Everything else that we preach leads to lesser ends. Nothing even comes close to the value of the gospel and preaching Christ. Everything else will burn up and be cast away with this earth and this life. That's the only thing that will sustain. And so Paul says, preach the word to us. All of us. 
So ask yourself, to what end am I leading people with my preaching? What, what are you pointing them to? What, what end are you leading your congregation to as you preach and proclaim whatever it is that you're proclaiming with your life? That's point one. Let's go to number two. Look at verse two. It says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So he starts right here. He says again, preach the word whenever and wherever. Preach the word whenever and wherever. Now when he says preach the word, he then says be ready in season and out of season. It almost feels like be ready is kind of a, a connecting phrase. Like it's just what he's saying to get to the next part. But it actually is part of the command. When he says be ready, it means to be prepared. Like, are you prepared to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ at any time? Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.14, he says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Here it is. Always being prepared, always being ready, to make a defense of your faith to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter, Paul, they're both saying the same thing. Be prepared. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to be prepared to proclaim the gospel at any moment. And there's two things you need to do, two things you need to have to be prepared. You need to have fluency. Do you have fluency in the gospel? On a moment's notice, could you tell your story of how Jesus saved you, and then could you tell his story of how he came to earth and took our sins on the cross? Do you have fluency in that conversation? Can you tell your story of salvation and Christ's work of salvation on the cross? You need to know both of those, and you need to practice them. So you are always ready. You're always prepared to share and proclaim the gospel. You need fluency, and then you need urgency. You need to have, you need to remember that what Paul's saying, that time is short, right? That, that you may, here's the reality, friends, there are some people in this life, you will only ever get one shot to share the gospel with them. For whatever reason, you'll never talk to them again, you'll never see them again, you'll never cross paths, whatever the reason, there are some people that you will meet that you will only ever get one opportunity. You need to remember that time is short and we need to seize that opportunity. You need to have urgency and be confident and courageous and be ready to preach the word. Now, I've been in ministry long enough and I've been a Christian long enough to know that some of you right now are thinking, yeah, no. I'm not ready. Like, I, I'm, I'm not ready. Like, if somebody came up to me, like, point blank, come up and ask me right now, tell me about the gospel, I, I'm not ready. And I get that. We're all at different levels of spiritual growth and maturity, and you're, maybe you're brand new in your faith, and you're just starting to, to get your feet underneath yourself. I understand that. That's okay. It's okay that you're not ready now. It's not okay to stay not ready. And so the question 
for ourselves, what are you doing to get ready? If you're not there yet, that's okay. But what are you doing to get ready? It's not okay to stay there. You should not be satisfied as a follower of Jesus Christ who cannot explain the hope that is in you, the faith that you have, the gift that Jesus has given you in salvation. What steps do you need to take to get ready so you're prepared to share the gospel? He says, be ready in season and out of season. Okay? Uh, basically, that means when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Okay? Or when, it, when reception is high and when reception is low. Be always ready is what he is saying here. So I just want to do a little survey this morning. I know, you know, things in our country, things in our culture have been changing and shifting a lot in the last couple of years. Let's just do a little question. Do you believe that right now in our country, in our society, would you say that the gospel is in season or out of season? Let's just do a show of hands. If you think the gospel is in season right now in our country, raise your hand. Who thinks it's in season? Who thinks it's out of season? Okay, great. Put your hands down. Who said, I, I don't know and I don't want to vote? Okay. All right, so... Now think about that question. What if we went and asked Paul? Hey, Paul, our society today, where we're at, compared to where you were at when you were planting churches and sharing the gospel, would you say that we're in season or out of season? What do you think Paul would say? In season. (laughs) You're not getting stoned. You're not getting imprisoned. You're not getting killed. In season. Go. Share the gospel. Right? It's all about perspective, isn't it? Right? Like, we're going from, like, 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 50 years ago. Like, man, it, now it seems like we're way off. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. In season. But it, actually, here's the reality of what his statement is saying, in season, out of season, is that ultimately it doesn't matter. Paul's saying, I don't care if it's in season or out of season. Always be ready to share the gospel. Don't just preach when it's easy. Don't just preach when it's painless. Preach always. Let God be the one who worries about how it will be received. You just preach the word. I am convinced that we miss tons of gospel opportunities because we are so worried about what season it is. We're always worried about how they're going to receive it. How are they going to respond? We're worried about conflict. We're worried about because we have a fear of man more than a fear of God. Paul says, be ready to preach all the time. All the time. And then he tells us how to do it. He says, reprove and rebuke. Which those words are actually very similar in meaning. Reprove means to to reveal sin, to open their eyes to sin based on God's word. Rebuke means to call out that sin in a public way, right? So to declare, not only to show them their sin, but to declare this is sin and you need to repent. He's saying call out the counterfeit gospels that we try to worship instead of God. Call out the heart idols that are keeping them entrenched in their sin. Call out the, the, the false teachers that Timothy was dealing with in his context, and can I just tell you this morning, like, when you reprove and rebuke with the gospel, it's uncomfortable, right? It's probably going to create some conflict. It's probably going to strain some relationships. It's not always going to be received well. But friends, that is preaching. 
And that is what we're called to. And we're called to it because despite the fact that it might make them feel uncomfortable, it might cause some conflict, the reality is it is still their only hope to be saved. It's their only hope to be called to repentance and to turn from their sin and to trust in Jesus Christ. We have to preach even when it's hard. He says, reprove and rebuke, and then he says, exhort with patience and teaching. Exhort there means to encourage. It's kind of the opposite of the reprove rebuke thing. It's like encourage them in their faith, build them up in their faith toward maturity, toward growth in Christ. Preaching can do that too. Hopefully you feel that here at Harvest. Not only the repent part, but also the like, hey, let's grow together, right? Like this is both part of preaching, but notice it says exhort with patience and teaching. You know why it says that? Because it's a long game, right? Spiritual growth, discipleship, following Christ, it's not a short game. It is a long game. And it takes lots of time and lots of hard work and lots of perseverance and lots of patience when you keep teaching and you keep preaching and the people aren't responding and they're not there yet and they're taking baby steps. It's a long game. And Paul knows that. And he's encouraging Timothy, he's encouraging us, don't stop. Don't stop preaching just because they're only taking baby steps because this is the reality. This is their only hope to grow in the gospel. Their only hope to grow in Christ is to hear the word preached. So keep going. Preaching the word is needed in every situation and in every life regardless of the circumstances. I would sum up Paul's words in this section like this. There is never a bad time to preach the gospel. Never. I, I want to share a story with you. I've shared this story before in our church. It's been a little while now, but I just feel like it's so impactful. It was impactful for me. Before Courtney and I got married, I was living with two roommates in this house. One of them was a, a good Christian friend of mine. Um, the other was a guy I didn't know until he moved in. was not a Christian, not a follower of Christ. Um, his name was John. He was a very likable guy. I mean, just, just, a, just one of those guys you just like, like to be around. He's just funny, and he, he connects well with people, and he loves to serve people and just do stuff to, to help people out. And So really liked John, but he just wasn't, he wasn't a believer. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't know the church. He had no relationship there. And so he would see Courtney and I, you know, go, going and coming from the house, going to church on Sundays, going on Wednesdays. We were helping with the, the student ministry at our church at that point in time. And so we're going back and forth to church and stuff. And so one night we come in, and John's sitting on the couch watching some TV, and he says, hey, how are my little Christian soldiers tonight? You know, just kind of poking fun. And uh, we were like, oh, actually, it was a really good night. You know, we had some, we had some kids tonight that were really responding to the gospel, and they're growing in their faith. And, and, and that led into this whole conversation with John about the gospel. And he was, like, asking all these questions about what we believed and what, what the Bible said and, like, really earnestly asking questions and listening and pressing in. And so we have this great conversation, and, and, and I wish I could tell you that the end of that conversation was John got saved, right? That he put his faith in Jesus, and now he's But that didn't happen. Not that night. I don't know that it's ever happened. I haven't talked to John in a long time. I don't know if he ever got saved or not, to my knowledge, not. But, but here's what he did say at the end of the conversation that just blew me away. He said, Micah, he said, let me ask you something. He said, we've been friends for over six months now. And 
And if we're really friends, and if you really believe what you just said, that if I don't know Jesus, that I'm going to die and go to hell, if you really believe that, why is it taking you this long to tell me? And it was like a gut punch. Because he was absolutely right. If I truly believe what the gospel says, that everyone without Christ is dying and going to hell, why wouldn't I want to tell everyone the first chance I had that they needed Jesus? And it changed my whole thinking about witnessing in the gospel. Like, sometimes we're, we're always just waiting for like that right moment or that right conversation. Or, or, and I'm not saying don't be wise, but I'm saying like, listen, Paul says... There's never a bad time to share the gospel. Stop waiting and get moving. We talk ourselves out of proclaiming the gospel to others so many times because we're afraid of offending them or damaging relationship or whatever. But if we truly love them, if we truly care about them, we will not risk them not knowing Jesus one more day. Ask yourself, who have I been waiting to share the gospel with that needs to hear it now? Who's that person in your life that you know they're not saved? You, you know they need the gospel. You've been wanting to tell them, and you've just been waiting and waiting, waiting for that right moment, waiting for that right conversation. But they need to hear it now. Not next week, not next year, now. Who's that person in your life? Paul goes on in verse 3, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Last point this morning, preach the word when others won't. When others won't. Paul says, for the time is coming. And that's a, that's a connecting phrase. So he's connecting what he just said to what he's about to say, right? He, he just said, preach the word no matter what, all the time, because, he says, in the future, something's going to happen. And when that happens, don't be silent, don't back down. He says, because there's a time in coming when people will not endure sound teaching. In other words, they're going to be bored with it. They're going to be apathetic at the preaching of God's word. They're going to be annoyed when you tell them the truth. In fact, they're going to reject it because they don't want to hear it because they don't want to hear God's truth. They want to hear their own truth. He says there's a time that's coming, so preach the word. Don't stop. Don't back down from sound teaching. He says they will reject it because they have itching ears, which is just a really weird figure of speech. Right, like we, like we don't, it's, in the Greek, it's very clear. In the English, we don't have like a good figure of speech to match what Paul is saying here. Um, but he's basically meaning that, that they're never satisfied. Right? That they're always wanting more. They're always wanting something else. The best thing I could come up with are, is like dogs. How many, how many of you have dogs? Who has, who has dogs? How many of you believe that your dog loves you? I hate to break it to you. Your dog loves themselves. And the only reason they love you is because you love them and you do things for them, and so they respond to what you are giving to them because they love themselves. Point blank, point case rather, most dogs 
universally love to have their ears scratched, right? And, and think about your dog. How long would you have to scratch your dog's ears before he was like, you know what, I'm good, that's enough, I'll scratch your ears now. Anybody ever had that experience, right? Like, no, no, if you stop, what do they do? They, they paw your hand and they nudge it with their nose, like, keep going, keep scratching my ears, that feels good. They always want more, they, it's never enough. That's the picture here of itching ears. That the person's never satisfied, they always want more, they always want something else, something new, to scratch their itching ears. And so, he says here, because of their itching ears, they will accumulate teachers to suit their own passions. And accumulate means to, like, stockpile, right? Like, like build up. Like, one teacher's not enough. Like, it's not enough that I have a pastor at church that preaches to me, or I've got somebody I listen to on the radio once a week. Like, no, no. I, I, have, to, I have to have a whole list of teachers because I want them to be constantly scratching my ears and telling me what I want to hear. And not just any teachers, but teachers who suit my own passions, my own desires. Teachers that tell me what I want to hear and make me feel good about what I already think and believe and desire and want. And so they pick teachers that will affirm the sinful bent of their hearts and write off their need for repentance and tell them, oh, it's okay, you know, and give them the, the man-centered preaching rather than reprove and rebuke and exhort with Christ-centered preaching. And so they stockpile this whole list of teachers and preachers that will give them what they want to hear because their purpose is not to worship God, but actually to worship themselves and to glorify themselves. And today with media and with the internet, there is no shortage of false teachers who are seeking to appeal to your passions, to the desires of your heart. So let me just give you some categories of false teachers that are looking to scratch your ears. First, there's Henry the heretic, who teaches false doctrine to build up a following for himself rather than a following for Jesus Christ. And he twists the teaching just enough to make it more about him than about anything else. And he has all these extra documents and all these extra books, and he has false interpretations of the Bible to all point at the direction that he wants you to go. Or there's Charlton Charles. Charlton Charles, sorry. Smooth with his words and draws you in because he's such an eloquent speaker, but he draws you into the empty promises when all he really wants is your money. He's a prosperity preacher promising health and wealth and a perfect life if you just have enough faith in him and enough faith in his church and send, you, send him all your money. Number three, it's prophetess Peggy, who's always coming up with a new revelation from God because she does not believe that God's word is actually sufficient to teach us all that we need to know for life and godliness. And she always has a new word from the Lord, but 
oddly enough, she's the only one who actually has this direct link to God, and you have to come to her to get the new word because you yourself can't hear from God by just simply opening the Bible. Or Easy Ears Eddie, who always fills you up with a good message, and he sends you home feeling uplifted and happy, and man, that was such a great service. And you always go home happy, but you never go home more holy because he never calls you to repentance and he never talks about sin and he never addresses the stuff in your life. He just smooths it over with his five easy steps to the best life now. Or lastly, speculating Spencer. Full of deep intellectual arguments and he's so smart but all of his arguments rely on redefining words to mean something different than what they meant when they were written so he can come up and refute all the doctrine that he doesn't agree with when all he's actually doing is twisting the words with his sleight of hand, clever wordsmithing. These are the teachers Paul is talking about. These are the teachers he's warning us about. That their whole purpose is just to scratch your ears, not to give you the word of God. And he says, because of this, people will turn away from listening to the truth. They'll turn away from listening to God, and they will wander off into myths, into lies, and deceptions, and false claims. They're posing as truth, they're, they're posing as spirituality, but they're actually just myths. False thinking. And they fool us into thinking falsely and then ultimately into sinful rebellion against the Lord. And again, our phones and the internet and bookshelves and radio are riddled with these myths. And so many Christians are consuming them as if they are actual spiritual food from the Lord when they are not. Devotionals, claiming to communicate new words directly from Jesus, even though they don't actually align with Scripture. Or speakers at the conference seeking to convince you that your best life is one of receiving and comfort and and goodness rather than service and sacrifice like Jesus gave. Books claiming to to know more about God and heaven and hell because of some near-death experience that they had than God actually reveals about himself in his word. They're myths. Modern philosophy telling us that our finite, broken minds know better concerning our gender and our sexuality than God, the one who actually created us and created it. Myths. That the the latest claim to know the exact time and the exact day and the exact place that Jesus is coming back and using that not to move people into mission and not to move people out to serve the Lord, but rather to have them crippled in fear of what's coming. Or the mindset that doing good deeds And meeting physical needs is primary, and the gospel 
is secondary. These are all myths. They're lies from Satan to lead us away from God's true word. And many of you, you are you have this constant stream in your life of TV and radio and podcasts and bookshelves and social media and conferences. And, and I'm not saying all that stuff is bad. Some of it can be great and serve a great purpose, but you have to be discerning. Are you discerning about what you're consuming in this so-called spiritual content? Are you receiving preaching of the Word or simply teaching that is scratching an itch in your ears. We must be diligent to preach the Word and only consume the Word. Not myths. So again, ask yourself, are there any areas where I have wandered into myths because of my own passions? Are there any areas where I have wandered into myths? Where something, something has, has distracted me from the Lord? Something I've, got, I've, I've grabbed a hold of some other teaching because that's what my heart really desires and it, 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 it assuages my guilt and it gives me an out for my sin. Am I holding on to any myths that I need to confess and release to the Lord in the power of His Word? Preaching the Word, the true Word of God, is the only hope for the world. Only hope. This is all we have. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can redeem. Only Jesus can restore. And so we must preach the Word. But the world will only know and believe that if they hear it from us. If they hear us proclaim the truth of the gospel. And so again, I just want you to consider this this morning. Here's what I want you to walk away with. What type of preaching are you consuming? Right? Do you have a diet full of truth from God's word? Or do you have a diet full of myths? What are you consuming? And then in turn, what are you preaching and proclaiming to everyone around you? You're preaching something. What is it? Let's be a church. Let's be a people who receive the word and preach the word. Stand with me and let's pray and respond this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that, that you are a God who reveals himself. Lord, you don't stay far off. You don't stay hidden from us. Lord, you have clearly revealed yourself through your word. And we thank you, God. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, for what you, that you call us, Lord, to worship you, that you call us, Lord, to spread the gospel, spread the word of God, that we get to be a part of your mission, Lord, and forgive us. Forgive us when we have failed to proclaim your good news. Forgive us when we have settled for lesser messages. And Lord, today, stir our hearts afresh. Holy Spirit, come 
today with the hope of Jesus, with the hope of the gospel, with the hope of your word, that we might go out and boldly preach the word to others who need that same hope today. Lord, you are the hope of the world. Help us believe that. Help us proclaim that. In Christ's name we pray.